God, we love you, and we give you praise. God, this morning as we continue our, our series in the Psalms, as we take, continue this look into the Psalms this summer, would you just continue to meet here with us? God, your presence has been, been here, and we just are, are thankful for it, God. But I pray that you would, you would continue that. You would open up our minds and open up our hearts to be able to hear a new word from you, God. God, I pray that you would speak through me this morning. That the words that I'm speaking aren't just my words. God, no one came here to hear from me, God. We all come to hear from you. And may you speak through your word to each and every one of us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, we've been, uh, over the last few weeks, uh, actually this is week five of our Psalm series, and we're going to be spending the summer uh, in the book of Psalms as we just kind of go through and look at some of these psalms, some of the psalms that maybe we, we've known, some of the psalms that maybe we haven't known. Uh, so far, we've gone through Psalm 56, uh, David saying, when I am afraid, I will trust in you, and God whose word I praise. In Psalm 51, we get a glimpse of the gospel, and in Psalm 84, we talk about being in the presence of God and being the temple of God. In Psalm 95, last week, just rediscovering the wonder of worship, of, of what we do here when we come, and who we worship, and, and, and why it's so important that we do this each and every time we meet together as a church family. And today, uh, I want to just, I want to go back a little bit from Psalm 95 to Psalm 73. And uh, I want to take a look at a mindset that this psalmist has that I think is, is pretty relevant in our culture today, uh, and, and just... I think it's just relevant and, and a good teaching time for us today. And so Psalm 73 is where we're going to be spending our time. Uh, if you're in one of our pew Bibles, it's on page 414. Uh, psalm 73. This is a psalm of Asaph. It says Asaph was uh, essentially a, a worship leader then. He's part of the Levites. He's one of the worship leaders that was, uh, that was his, his job his, his, the thing that he did was he was to lead the people of God in worship. And this is one of the psalms that he wrote. Let's go ahead and read this together. Psalm 73. Surely God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost slipped. If I, hadn't, I had nearly lost my foothold, for I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. They have no struggles. Their bodies are healthy and strong. They are free from common human burdens. They are not plagued by human ills. Therefore, pride is their necklace. They clothe themselves with violence. From their callous hearts comes iniquity. Their evil imaginations have no limits. They scoff and speak with malice. With arrogance, they threaten oppression. Their mouths lay claim to heaven, and their tongues take possession of the earth. Therefore, their people turn to them and drink up waters in abundance. They say, how would God know? Does the Most High know anything? This is what the wicked are like, always free of care. They go on amassing wealth. Surely in vain, I have kept my heart pure and washed in the hands of innocence. All, all day long I've been afflicted, and every morning brings new punishments. If I had spoken out like that, I would have betrayed your children. When I tried to understand all this, it troubled me deeply. Until I entered the sanctuary of God, and there I understood their final destiny. Surely you placed them on slippery ground. You cast them down to ruin. 
How suddenly they are destroyed, completely swept away by tears. They are like a dream when one awakes. When you arise, Lord, you will despise them as fantasies. When my heart was grieved and my spirit was embittered, I was senseless and ignorant. I was a brute beast before you. Yet I am always with you. You hold me by my right hand. You guide me with your counsel, and afterward you will take me into glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And nothing, and earth has nothing I desire besides you. My heart and my, my flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Those who are far from you will perish. You destroy all who are unfaithful to you. But as for me, it is good to be near God. I have made the sovereign Lord my refuge. I will tell of all your deeds. Uh, we read this psalm, and, and this psalm is really kind of a dive into to the mental struggle of holiness, of living the way that God is calling us to live, but seeing so many people who aren't living this way have what seem like really good lives. And this, this question of, why should I live like this? Why should I be doing this thing? There are so many things that we're taught to avoid. This drive for, 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 <clears throat> for riches or status or whatever. And we walk out and we see non-Christians or nominal Christians. And, and they're doing those things that we're taught not to do. Or they're, they're living in a way that we're taught not to live. Because we're supposed to live the way of Christ. And, and things are going better for them than for me. How this is this is this is the struggle and and faith is a struggle, isn't it? I mean, having to having to live this life, having to to live up to all of this, and then it's a struggle because we see people and they're not living like that, but they have what seem like like really good lives. And as this psalmist says, my my feet had almost slipped. Our feet begin to sleep to slip. One of the things I, I love about this psalm is how real it is. I, I, this psalm is not written by a guy who, who is coming from a place of, of doubting the existence of God or doubting God. This is, remember, a, a worship leader in the temple of God for the people of God. This man knows that God is good. He knows deep down that God is good. He even starts off this psalm, surely God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. He knows that God is a good God. And so this is not the doubting of someone trying to prove that God isn't good. This is the doubting. This is the struggle. This is kind of the, the questioning, the deep questioning of someone who knows deep down that God is good. Someone who believes that God is good. But then he's honest. I mean, verse 1, surely God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But it takes one verse for him to get to the but. But. I mean, God is good, but. God is good, but, but look at all of these people. And uh, this, this, this but is the part I want to talk about today. Asaph here takes, kind of, I want to walk through this, this psalm and just look at the two perspectives that Asaph writes through. And, and the first perspective is really just this, is he's, he's looking and he's seeing those people who he calls wicked. 
Essentially, these are the people who are not living it out, whether they believe or they don't believe. These are the people who are not living the way that Christ is calling us to live. They're not living a holy life. This is, they are not living the way of holiness. These are, this is these people, and he's focused on these people. And then three things begin to happen as he focuses on these people. Number one, he, he envies how they live. He looks at their life and he looks in envy. I mean, verse 4, they have no struggles. Their bodies are healthy and strong. Some other, some other versions say they don't have any pain until death. Right? Their, their bodies are fat, is what some of the, some of the versions say. Right? Basically, these, they have no struggles. They're not going to feel any pain. Verse 5, they are free from common human burdens. They're not plagued by human ills. Verse 12, this is what the wicked are like. They always, always free of care. They go on amassing wealth. I want to just, I want you to put your finger here in Psalm 73, and I want you to turn with me, and we're not going far today, we're just going to another Psalm, Psalm 1, the very beginning of the book of Psalms. Psalm 1. It's interesting, Psalm 1, <clears throat> Psalms is actually broken down into to different books. Psalm 73 is the, the first psalm of book 3. Psalm 1 is obviously the first psalm of, of book 1. I probably didn't need to say that, Psalm 1. But here's what this one says. <laughs> Blessed is the one who does not walk and step with the wicked, or stand in the way that sinners take, or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not weather, wither. Whatever they do prospers. Not so the wicked. They are like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous but the way of the wicked leads to destruction. Now, here's what just happened. I don't know if you got this or not. We just read two opposite psalms. Psalm 1 says that those who, essentially those who, who walk and step with the Spirit are like a tree planted by streams of water. <coughs> Excuse me. Are like a tree planted by streams of water which yields fruit in season whose Leaves does not wither. They, whatever they do prospers. Those who walk and step with God, whatever they do prospers. You get to Psalm 73, and he's saying the exact opposite. Look at all these people who don't live according to your law. Look at all these people who aren't living the holy life. Everything they do prospers. Now, it's, as if, it's as if Asaph in Psalm 73 hasn't even heard of Psalm 1. Right? And back to 73, it's like the psalmist is saying, is this... Is this really true? Is Psalm 1 actually true? Because it doesn't seem true. I envy the people. I envy the, what he calls the wicked people. I envy them. Everything they do seems to prosper. They have no pain until they die. Right? Everything they do prospers. They, they have no cares in the world. I envy those people. And it's, I think today it's the same. I think we have that same question. We hear the call to obedience, and it seems, looking around, that there's, there's maybe another way. There's another way that doesn't seem so hard. There's another way that, that 
I mean, even, even Christians are doing it. It seems like even the Christians have another way, and they can still enjoy the way that other people live. And this is, this is honesty from, from Asaph here. I mean, he describes these wicked people, and it, he describes them that they are, they are blessed physically. He takes the blessing upon the, he takes someone and, and the blessing on those who, who follow God, and then he takes it, these people are blessed physically. They are, there are no pains in their death. Their bodies are fat. That's from the New American Standard Version. They're, they have no struggles. Their bodies are healthy and strong. They're, they're blessed physically. They are, they're prideful people. They have things to take pride in. Their mouths, verse 9, their mouths lay claim to heaven. Their tongues take possession of the earth. Verse 11, they say, how would God know? Does the Most High know anything? These, these people are, are pride. They feel like we know more than God. How could God be true if, if this is the way that we live and look at our lives and look at the people who are, who are following God and look at their lives? How can God be right? right they're, they're prideful people. They avoid pain. Verse 12, this is what the wicked are like. They are always free of care. They're always amassing wealth. They prosper and it just keeps getting better for these people. This psalmist, is, he looks at these people who he calls wicked and he's envious of their life. And not only is he envious of their life, he regrets how he's been living his. Right? He, he regrets how he has been living his. He looks at his life and concludes that he has, he's, pursued this, he's pursued holiness in vain, really. Verse 13, surely in vain I have kept my heart pure and have washed my hands in innocence. I have done this in vain. This, this wasn't worth it. What a statement from the psalmist there. In vain, surely in vain, I have pursued this purity. Surely in vain, I have pursued this holiness. But, but if we're honest, I think it's a, probably a statement that we resonate with. Is this worth it? Is it worth it? And it's a good question. Even Scripture calls us to count the cost. Is it worth it? Verse 14, all day long I've been afflicted. Every morning brings new punishment. It's like he knows nothing of, of Psalm 1. And when Psalm 1 says that these people who, who follow the ways of God are like people that are planted by, the trees planted by streams of water. I mean, not only, the Asaph saying, not only am I not flourishing, I can't catch a break. This sucks. I mean, he sees the wicked. He envies how they live. And then he, he begins to regret how he is living his life. And then the third thing he does through this perspective is that he begins to wrestle with how God works. He begins to wrestle with God about this. <clears throat> it says, when I tried to understand it, it troubled me deeply. When I tried to understand God, God, how does this happen? And we, there, there are a lot of things to wrestle with God about. God... <coughs> How could you let this happen? How is this a thing in our world, God? How could you not show up in this situation? How could you not stop this from happening? How many of you have asked God a how could you kind of question? I know I have. How could you not? Or how could you have, have done this? How? 
It's okay to wrestle with God. And Asaph is, is wrestling with God and he's, he's asking these questions. And it's a troublesome task, verse 16 says in some, some translations. But verse 17, it was a troublesome task until I entered the sanctuary of God. And then his perspective begins to change. As he's focusing on, on the people, on these people that he calls the wicked people, as he's focusing on these people, he sees their lives and he just feels like it's so unfair. These people are, are flourishing. I, I envy the way they live. I, I regret the way that I live my life. Surely I have done this in vain. He begins to wrestle with God about this, but as he goes to God, his perspective changes. Perspective number one, he sees these people. Perspective number two, though, he sees God. And when he goes into the sanctuary, in verse 17, till I entered the sanctuary of God, then I understood their final destiny. Then I understood the, the, the message says, then I, then I saw the whole picture. Then I understood their destiny. I saw their end, some translations say. And he begins to, to say in verse 18, he says, Surely you place them on slippery ground. You cast them down to ruin. How suddenly they are destroyed, completely swept away by tears. They are like a dream when one awakes. When you arise, Lord, you will despise them as fantasies. And do you hear the, the severity of this language here? Uh, don't be deceived. This, this road leads to destruction. He sees God and his eyes are opened. And I wonder what changes his mind. And, but I don't think you have to wonder very long because when he, when he sees this, he, he doesn't see God as just, just out there kind of letting all of this happen, right? He sees God as an, as an active God. Verse 18, surely you place them on slippery ground. You cast them down to ruin. How suddenly they are destroyed. They're like a dream. When you arise, Lord, you will despise them as fantasies. You are not just a, a, a sidelined God who's just letting all of this happen. These, these how could you questions. God is, God is a just God. And he sees God and his eyes are open. He remembers their future. He sees what they have coming. These people are not living the way that God is calling people to live. These people are not living in, in, in a way that they've been, they've been taught. And I, I want to make clear here, this way is not just a, a don't do this and don't do this and don't do this way of life. Our book from, from last month, we read uh, The Irresistible Revolution by Shane Claiborne in our group, in our grow group, and he says... You know, I began to, to hear all these preachers asking me to lay my life down at the cross, but I didn't ever hear anyone telling me what I should pick up. Now Jesus says, put your cares on me. My yoke is easy and my burden is light, but there's still a burden. There's still, we still need to live in the way that God is calling us to live. It's not just a loose list of don'ts. There are a lot of do's. There are a lot of other things. And so he realizes that these people who, who, are, who are not living in the way that God is calling people to live, these people, he remembers what their future will be. And as he does that, 
he, he realizes how foolish he is in thinking the way that he's thinking and being envious of these people and, and regretting the way that he's living his life. He realizes his, his foolishness in that. In verse 21, he says, When my heart was grieved and my spirit was embittered, I was senseless and ignorant. I was a, I was a brute beast before you. I was senseless and I was ignorant. I, and today, I don't know what I was thinking. I don't know how I could have thought those things. I, I don't know what I was thinking. He steps back into this new perspective. Who am I to question God require, God's requirement of holiness in my life? Who, who am I to do that? Who am I to question what God has for my life? Who am I to question in the way that God is asking me to live? Why would I regret following the commands of God? Why would I regret walking in this way? Why, why would I regret this? And the temptation is to... I think the temptation is even real today. To hear the words of God and to hear the commands of God and just to... I don't know. I don't know if he really meant that. I don't know if he really... I don't know if that was real. And I think there's going to be a day coming where we'll wonder how we ever thought, yeah, I don't know about that. I don't know if that's real. I don't know if God really meant that. Asaph remembers their future. He realizes how foolish he was in the way that he was thinking. And then he rejoices in God's faithfulness. From verse 23 on, it's just a a beautiful poem of of what God is, is doing. Yet I am always with you. He's talking about just always being in the presence of God. You hold me by my right hand. That God is always with him. He is, he is next to him. He is holding his hand through life. You guide me with your counsel. That he's receiving guidance from God. And afterwards you will take me into glory. I, I mean, this is just... It blows my mind. Like this is this is he's he's coming through all of this. You can almost see the perspective switch here. God, who are these people? Look how they're living. Why are they being so prosperous? I, maybe I've been living in vain until I went into the sanctuary, and then I realized their futures. I realized the destiny that they were going towards. And God, you are faithful. God, you you guide me. You are always with me. You are always next to me. You hold my hand. You guide me with your counsel. And afterwards, you will take me into glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And earth has nothing I desire besides you. My heart, my flesh and my heart may fail. But God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Yeah, my prayer is that this is something that we can say. That when we go through these periods of time where we doubt, just like Asaph is doubting, hey, God, is it worth it for me to live like this? God, is it worth it for me to, to dedicate my life to following you? Is it worth it? Because look at all these people, either who say they are or who, who are obviously not following you, but look at their lives. They're not living this way, and look how blessed they are. Look at all the things that, that they're receiving from life. Look at, look at, they're in a much better place than me, God. It's easy to be tempted by that and say, well, maybe I should just live like they live. 
Maybe I've been pursuing holiness in vain as well. Maybe I've been pursuing this, this right way of living, the way that God is calling me to live. Maybe I've been doing this in vain as well because, because life is not treating me like it's treating them over there. That's how Asaph feels. But then he goes into the presence of God. And all he can do is worship. I'm always with you. You guide me by my right hand. You guide me with your counsel and you will take me into glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And earth has nothing I desire besides you. They can have it all. I don't need any of that. I just want you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. He continues, those who are far from you will perish. You will destroy all those who are unfaithful to you. But as for me, it is good to be near God. That's one you can just underline and memorize and say to yourself all the time. As for me, it's good to be near God. I have made the sovereign Lord my refuge, and I will tell of all your deeds. If we leave here knowing anything today, I I want you to hear me say that it's okay to have questions like Asaph has. It's okay to have doubts like Asaph has. And in fact, I think God encourages these. God encourages you to ask questions. God encourages you to, to seek him out. But as you're asking questions, we need to seek God in the same way that Asaph sought God with his questions. All this stuff seemed troublesome to me, verse 16, until I went into the sanctuary. And then God reveals himself to Asaph, and Asaph worships. It's okay to to have questions, but I think as we leave this place, I want us to, to do two things together. I want us to trust in the goodness of God God is good. That's the way he starts his his psalm here. Surely God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. Surely God is good. God is good. We can trust in the goodness of God. We can can live knowing that God is good. We can know that God is, is holding us by our right hand. We can know that God will guide us with his counsel. We can know that that at some point God will, will take us into glory. We can, we can look to God and say, Whom have I in heaven but you? There is nothing on earth that I desire besides you, because you are good and you are you are more good than anything else that I could ever have. We need to trust in the goodness of God. And then this, this last line, I think sometimes we skip, I will tell of all your deeds. Amen. We need to trust in the goodness of God, and we need to tell others about the greatness of God. Amen. God is good. Amen. God is good. Let's trust in that goodness. And let's tell others about his greatness. Let's pray. God, we love you. We give you praise. We give you thanks.
God, you are good. As we leave this place, will we, will we trust in your goodness? Will we tell others of your greatness? God, will we take our doubts and will we take our questions to you and to you alone? God, I pray that you would go ahead of us this week. Be in our homes. Be in our workplaces. Be in our cars and our trips. Would you be in our conversations that every, everywhere we are, that every conversation we have, we would be a light for you. That we make a difference in our community wherever that would be. God, we love you, and we give you praise. In Jesus' name, amen.